0: One of the most challenging ways that one needs to be able to respond to a great mass of information is developing the capacity to distill that which is genuinely valuable within things. Um, And that process of distilling and, and being able then to articulate very clearly the simpler version of often the hugely complicated range of issues is a huge skill and a very valuable skill. Welcome to the GovCom's podcast,
1: bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComps, the podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're joined by a legend of Australian broadcasting news. Richard Moorcroft has a quarter of a century of experience in broadcasting and journalism as both a television news and current affairs anchor and interviewer and he is perhaps best known for his two decades as the principal news presenter for ABC Television here in Australia. Richard was also host of the current affairs program Nationwide where he conducted All sorts of different interviews with different politicians and business leaders, and it was a great program. Uh, In addition to his broadcasting, Richard also has worked in helping senior executives from a wide range of Australian companies and organisations to help them improve, to help them to become better media performers, but also to be better communicators. Richard not only worked at the ABC, but he also worked at SBS Television, where he worked on a very popular program called Letters and Numbers. He joins me now. Uh, Richard, welcome to GovComs.
0: Hello, David. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for asking me.
1: So listen, let's just go back through the career of, of Richard Moorcroft, really, and your interest in people and your interest in communication and your interests in broadcasting? Where did it all start?
0: I think the fascination for me began uh, way back in university days where uh, in Adelaide I was fortunate enough to be able to become involved with the student radio station. Um, There was one on campus and uh, as a A student at that time of English and drama, I also became very much involved with making radio programs of one sort or another on student radio, doing a few interviews, you know, we played all sorts of interesting music and made some ridiculous comedy. And the whole process of broadcasting and making programs was just fascinating and hugely satisfying. So I think I spent a lot more time locked in the the radio studios on campus than I probably did in the lecture halls.
1: But did you, at that time, were you focused on news or was it much more in that drama space?
0: I was fascinated by the really good quality, authoritative communication of information to people, whether it was news or current affairs. Um, You would remember the the, the legendary figure of the late Clive Hale, uh, who was uh, somebody who, you know, I think, inspired many of us youngsters in those days with his uh, arch eyebrow and his communication of current affairs information. Um, But I wasn't specifically focused on news in those days. I was just fascinated by the whole gamut of being able to potentially be a broadcaster, be an ABC announcer, which is what I wanted to be and eventually auditioned to be and was fortunate to, to get a job to be. In those days, uh, it it was very much a case of when you were an announcer, you were expected to be able to do everything. And reading TV news was one of those things. But, you know, announcing and talking about uh, classical music or uh, doing an interview for a, you know, morning kind of chat show, whatever it was, you were expected to be able to do it as an announcer, not specifically as as a journalist or somebody focused on news and current affairs.
1: So in those very early days, and the thing that fascinates me at the moment is that, you know, what technology has done is really to democratise the factors of media production and distribution. So many, many more people can now be presenters. They can be citizen journalists. They can create their own content. Do you think back to those early days about some advice that you were given um, that sort of held true Uh, for you throughout your career and that helped you to become a a, a better announcer, um, a a better presenter?
0: I think there are two aspects and really, I mean, you commented earlier about some of the um, training work that I've done over the years in trying to help other people become better professional communicators, not necessarily in the sense of being paid to communicate, but professional in their jobs, whether that might be in the, the business sector or the academic sector or some other... Uh, area. And ultimately, the two things that still hold true, that always hold true, is that you need to be able genuinely to access the part of yourself that both cares about and understands what it is that you're talking about. But you also need genuinely to be able to access an understanding of the skills uh, that allow you to communicate that material in the best possible way. Just like an athlete needs to understand how their body works um, if they're going to be a successful competitor, so too, a, a, you know, a, a communicator who wants to do the best possible job needs to understand what they look like, what they sound like, um, how they come across, and that understanding, being able to look at themselves Uh, and to make a a professional, genuine assessment um, is a hugely important skill. But at the same time, they do also need to have an understanding of what they're talking about. It's not just a performance. It needs to have something... And I think, for example, going back to um, uh, television news in particular, it was something where one needed to be able to have genuinely a sense of humanity about the stories that you were sharing because those things matter to people. Um, And to be able to communicate not an opinion but a sense of empathy for the material that you're communicating I think is always critically important, whether you're a TV newsreader or whether you're the the CEO of a a company or a a very senior public servant um, trying to explain uh, important policies, those things very much stay true.
1: OK, well, let's unpack a couple of those things because I think that's... Well, they're, again, they're in two um, reasonably defined buckets that we can dive into. So really that first point around preparation and getting ready and being ready. Again, what is the advice that you provide for people um, so as they're, they're able to give their best possible uh, performance... Uh, if I might describe it as that way, in terms of the way that they communicate, whether it's through video or whether it's through audio, whether they're presenting to a group face-to-face, how should people be thinking about that, you know, that preparatory stage?
0: Well, it's good that you use the word performance because good professional communication is a performance. But sometimes we think of, of performance in a, you know, in a pejorative way as though that's a bad thing. And the thing about performance is that if it is genuine and a reflection of the message that you genuinely feel and want to communicate, then the performance component of that is just the way in which you manage to achieve that task most effectively. Um, And so in terms of people being able to move towards that, first of all, they need to be able to step outside themselves a little bit and actually look at... Uh, and get to know themselves. You know, we don't have a a history of doing that. We're often very shy on a personal level about how we look and how we sound. You know, (laughs) the old story of the first time people hear their voice recorded, um, and of course now it's it's very common. But even so, um, people tend to to wince at the sound of their own voice or or feel uncomfortable at, at how they look. And uh, as you're also rightly pointing out, the, the changes in technology that have occurred uh, in recent years have now, um, interesting, you used the word democratised uh, the access that people have to other people, but also very much to themselves. I mean, look, you know, look at the ubiquitous selfie. So many people do know what they look like. But I guess I'm talking about encouraging people to recognise that by getting to know what they look like and and what they sound like. Uh, They can also decide to make constructive and genuine changes to that, to recognise their strengths and and make their strengths better, but also to be able to recognise their vulnerabilities and and to to build and compensate uh, for those things. So being able to do both of those things, I, I think, is enormously important. But the advice that I would give to anyone wanting to do it is don't expect that you're just going to be able to walk into a room and have a quick chat and then walk out and be a changed person. You know, we're really talking about things that go right to the core of people's often perceptions of themselves and the way in which they're prepared to communicate and share that perception. And that takes time to shift because the important thing about the performance that you referred to, is that it's genuine. I, Whenever I work with people, I always want them to be and to feel that they are being themselves, but that they're being the best version of themselves that they can help themselves get access to. And just like, as we as we say, we're, a, you know, in many ways so often we're a sporting nation, so those sporting analogies tend to uh, help people understand, you know, if you wanted to improve your golf swing or your tennis swing or your swimming stroke or whatever it was, you wouldn't have any hesitation in actually working on those things. There would be no self-consciousness about that. People are often very self-conscious about trying to make themselves look and sound better or, uh, you know, look at some of those, those practicalities. But they're very much just part of what should be a professional toolkit for anybody who takes their communication of important matters in the workplace or in other forums seriously. Um, and, uh, and if you make a commitment to working on that, it can make a huge difference.
1: So again, staying still in that preparatory container um, that you outlined earlier, just how important then is it when you are preparing and getting ready to have an understanding of the audience who you are seeking to reach and to engage and, and to influence? How much preparation should you be doing into understanding that particular group um, and what may move them or not move them uh, further towards your point of view?
0: Well, of course, it's important to know as much as you can um, about anybody with whom you're speaking, whether it's a, a single individual or a, a several thousand people in a huge forum or, or even across uh, sectors of the media. It's really important to try to understand them because, at the foundation, the, the reason that you want to communicate with them is because you have some interest or care in what they think about whatever it is that you're trying to talk about, whether you're explaining, um, you know, whether you're explaining uh, some sort of um, development or idea uh, in some context, uh, you, you care what they think about it. And so to understand what the values are, what the variables are that they may incorporate uh, into their assessment of you is really important. Um, and, um, and so that sort of research, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that every individual should do that. Often there are, there are teams of people involved in that better um, understanding. And, of course, there are whole industries now built around uh, trying to understand what and why uh, people uh, care about various issues... Um, but of course, it's important to do that because it's important to you, the speaker, to be able to share the information that you think will be valuable to these uh, to the people that you're talking to.
1: so richard, if we if we look at that second container, you know this notion of empathy and authenticity, and accessing that in a genuine and sincere way, What's your best advice to people to, to activate that particular power so as that they can be more authentic and they can be more real in the way they engage and communicate?
0: To be able to try to communicate as effectively as possible when there is a really important message to get across and to try to capture those things that you've referred to, that that sense of empathy, that, that sense of... Maybe a a word we we use all too much these days, but but authenticity um, is something that has to start in simple ways. And that's certainly how I try to uh, encourage people to consider the journey of getting to know themselves as communicators. It can start in simple ways with particular exercises. Um, and This has to be done in a kind of structured and disciplined way. But it can start by looking at yourself and getting to know yourself in a mirror. It can start by, uh, and most of us, of course, can simply record ourselves on our phones, you know, talking uh, with uh, the sort of structure that we want to be able to to talk through, to be able to get messages across and then listening back to that. What I'm really getting at is that whole sense of getting to know how you look, how you sound, how you move, and not only recognising the physical nature of that, but also starting to understand and being able to unpack the nature and structure of the messages that people want to be able to get across. So often, you know, people will go into situations where it's really important for them to get a particular message across, but they've not necessarily completely clearly in their own mind thought about what it is that they really want to say and what it is that they might be likely to be asked in the context of whatever the the meeting might be or the situation. And so those... Those very simple first steps, which can then be much more broadly uh, teased out into uh, bigger structures of learning, but those very simple first steps of saying, what do I want to say here? What is really important? What are the key key messages, the particular agenda that I want to get across? And what sort of questions am I likely to encounter that will allow me to... um, genuinely access those bits of information that are applicable and useful and how can I practice that process and get used to doing it?
1: Now, listen, you have been around going back to those days back of, uh, you know, university in, in Adelaide and playing around in the studios and and experimenting with, you know, different forms of communication at different times. You're standing now sort of looking back at your career and the changes that have taken place. What are the biggest things that have struck you about the change that have taken place? What's changed and what stayed the same?
0: Well, I I think nobody could dispute that the technology uh, surrounding communication has changed hugely. we've all become aware of, uh, of the possibilities uh, that have, have occurred both uh, through the literal, the physical technology itself uh, and the manifestations of that through all of the possibilities of, uh, of the internet. Um, so that, that technology has made a huge difference, but one of the most critical differences that perhaps it's made is the speed with which we are now able to react Uh, for example, to stories uh, of various sorts in in the news, but also the ways in which bits of information and, indeed, um, opinion of various sorts, particularly through social media, the speed with which information and opinion can travel uh, through the community is now extraordinary. Um, And so I think those really are the things that have changed hugely... Uh, But when it comes down to the practicalities, for example, of of news and current affairs, life has changed hugely for journalists and reporters who, um, back in the days, perhaps, David, you would recall uh, your own uh, reporting days, and, uh, and indeed, to some extent, so would I, where... There wasn't the expectation of the multitasking that there is now, where ex- reporters are ex- expected to be able to be, you know, essentially camera operators and sound uh, technicians and maybe even editors as well. Um, that 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 sense of generalisation has and multitasking generalisation has has changed hugely.
1: And how then, when you when you look at that changing landscape, it's. What, what do you think when you look at that, when you when you think about the reporters who are working that environment, when you think about the audiences that are consuming the, the content, when you think about the speed, when you think about sort of all of those things combining together in terms of an impact, what makes you optimistic and what makes you pessimistic about the context that we're now seeing?
0: Um, well, optimism first, I suppose. Uh, what is now hugely exciting is the degree of access that a huge range of people have, you know, almost anybody who has access to a, uh, to a even just a, a phone, let alone uh, any kind of computer. Uh, so a huge range of access to information very quickly, the ability to, to know what's happening uh, and to know what people think about what's happening uh, is, a, is a huge plus in many ways. In so many ways, though, it also then leads us to, I I guess, what perhaps I would see as a a huge uh, negative in many ways, which is that the the quality of complexity and contemplation uh, and the time actually given to the significance of of an individual event is extremely brief. Uh, The attention span is very (laughs) short... Um, from from many in the community because there is such a feast of information being constantly heaped uh, upon everybody. And so that volume of information, in many ways, is the huge plus, but that volume of information, in many ways, is also the huge minus because it becomes, I imagine, very, very hard to uh, both distinguish that of quality from that which is perhaps not... Um, But it also makes it very hard to stay with and think about material information issues because so quickly there's another one demanding your attention.
1: So this podcast is very much for people working in government who have an interest uh, and focus on communication. And if you've described beautifully there, I think, uh, the context, this notion of speed, this notion of volume. Um, the, the lack of contemplation perhaps, uh, the challenges around quality. What advice do you have to people working in government communication uh, that they could take on? What are the two or three things that they could take on to be more effective as they try uh, to better explain policy, program, services, regulations?
0: Surely the key quality in so many ways that is absolutely critical is that of open flexibility, being able to be open to possibility, being able to be flexible enough to recognise opportunity for perhaps a new way of expressing a a particular issue or a a particular piece of information, uh, a new way of, of... making use of technology as it evolves and develops. But I think that openness, if you're you're looking for a a single word, uh, it's a case of not being closed-minded to possibilities of information and issue explanation and having the flexibility to incorporate new ideas very quickly.
1: And then just in terms of how they would then deal with this sense of volume and speed and other things, is it a, is it a matter of, yes, being open, but is, then it, is it about acquiring different skills? Is it about thinking differently about the way that you try to get the messages out? Or what would some of that advice be that you would have for people?
0: One of the most challenging ways that one needs to be able to respond to a great mass of information is developing the capacity to distill that which is genuinely valuable within things. Um, And that process of distilling and, and being able then to articulate very clearly the simpler version of often the hugely complicated range of issues is a huge skill and a very valuable skill. And also one which, like most other communication skills, actually takes practice and structure to be able to make it work as well as it should. So that that process... um, And sometimes this this needs groups of people uh, working together who learn how their their minds work, Uh, each of them, you know, in terms of personalities and particular skills. But being able to take this massive information and and distill it, uh work out pick the eyes out of things, and then be able to have the linguistic skills to distill those messages into simple forms that can then be readily communicated instead of just a mass of different material.
1: Well, Richard Moorcroft, if people would like to speak to you, uh to learn from you, to access uh, perhaps some of your time, to not only think about uh, the earlier parts of our discussion, which were clearly about those presentation skills, but even to, uh, you know, talk with you about your views on this changing context. What's the best way for people to be able to get in contact with you?
0: Um, Look, that's a very kind question. Look, there are probably a a range of ways, but perhaps the the very simplest uh, first point of contact would be Please send me an email if uh, someone would like to be in touch and my uh, email address, or certainly the simplest one, is very simple, richard.moorcroft at hotmail.com. Couldn't be easier.
1: Pretty straightforward. And listen, just before I do let you go, um, we spoke about the optimistic and you look to that. Are you concerned about uh, misinformation? Are you concerned about disinformation? And if you are... What can people reasonably do uh, to either, one, not contribute to the problem, um, but if you're working in government communication, what can you do to be uh, some, some part of the solution around misinformation and disinformation?
0: It's such an important question, trying to deal with the problems of misinformation and, and disinformation especially in in ours and indeed societies around the world, that are becoming increasingly divisive and divided in their opinions. And so quite often there is deliberate uh, disinformation and misinformation spread. The first step, of course, is simply to have a really strong sense of awareness of the risk and a sense of responsibility that it should be looked out for. Uh, and so, uh, again, of course, it's energy intensive, but the process of checking uh, material, of questioning the motivation for uh, particular material or information that might come through um, and, and to have good systems for doing that. Um, you know, that process of trying to constantly consider the responsibility that one has for the information uh, that, uh, that goes out uh, through whatever channels they may be and taking that responsibility seriously, seriously enough to question, to consider and to make sure that what goes out has been well-checked and well-thought about.
1: Well, Richard Moorcroft, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your wisdom and your knowledge that you've been able to share with the GovCom's audience today. I know they will take so much away from this. The idea really is to provide that practical advice and to be able to give people access to real experts and I know that so many people will take I can just imagine now people sort of going back and right I'm going to go and get in front of the mirror I'm going to start to look at myself and and I'm going to start to think about it because I think it makes it's I've done hundreds of these uh podcasts and no one has ever given people that advice. And I think that is such a great piece of advice. It might be a bit weird the first couple of times that you do it, but again, you'll build confidence if you know, indeed, this is what you, you are going to look like. This is know how you're going to be presented. And it could indeed bring confidence um, to your presentation. And thanks again for your insights also around the context. Um, very much appreciated. And thank you for coming on to GovComs today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, David
1: and thank you the audience for coming back once again what a great interview richard moorcroft seriously what a, a legend of australian broadcasting he he was he was always just so top, top, top notch in the way that he would read the news and he mentioned that point about empathy and I think that's what I always loved about the way that he presented the news is that he knew his stuff but he also could move with the stories and I think that that piece of advice around empathy and really understanding what it is that you want to say and what you want that audience to take away is really to unlock that magic and that's where the magic comes from and, and about preparation Richard made it very clear to all of you Prepare. Don't just think you're going to turn up and wing it, and just stand up there and think that you're going to be able to be effective. This takes time. This takes practice. Uh, So really, if you're going to be serious, and and in a world where soft skills are becoming so much more well, so more valuable and more important and more valued, it is something that is worth really putting some time into. So um, really appreciative of Richard Moorcroft coming on today, and really appreciative of you coming back once again. If you do have the time for a review, we always take reviews because they help the program to be found. Uh, so we really would appreciate you doing that. We'll be back in two weeks' time with the next episode of GovComs. Thanks again for your attendance. My name's David Pembroke. We'll be back, as I say, in two weeks' time. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast.